Let me uh, review a little bit uh, quickly uh, from last week. Uh, we began, uh, and again, your outline there, the first part of it uh, we covered last week. And so uh, this is a this is the uh, pivotal chapter in all of the Bible, Scripture, chapter 3. This is the chapter that is referred to as the fall, um, uh, the fall of mankind. talks about when uh, Adam, Eve sinned. Uh, sin uh, became the, the uh, entrance there into the human race and disobeying God. And so let me just kind of review the first part here a little bit. And uh, again, not, we took a lot of time last week on, I think we went through one through five of the outline there, but uh, we'll uh, try to not spend too much time, but just kind of for those that just came in. But think about that if Genesis 3 was not in the Bible, what would Scripture be about? I mean, the Scripture is a record of God's redemptive purposes. And so chapter 3 plays, again, sets the stage, sets the scene if you will, of God's redemptive mission here. So now let's look at just kind of, again, your outline. You can follow along. Number one, the enemy. The Bible says, now the serpent. The serpent, that's talking about uh, uh, Satan. Uh, the Bible identifies Satan. Uh, Revelation 20, verse 2, where it says, uh, it identifies, the, uh, refers to as the dragon, uh, the ancient serpent, who is the devil, Satan. Uh, refers to him, so it includes both of those names. So we see uh, the serpent here was more crafty um, than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say? So we see the enemy there. And secondly, in your outline, the strategy is, notice what he does. He questions the word of God. And we spent some time talking about that. Is he still is he still undermining God's word today? Is that something is still part of his modus operandi? Yeah, you bet he is. Uh, undermining, did God actually say? Did he really say? The Bible tells us that Satan can masquerade himself as an angel of light, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, where he appears to be something good, something helpful. But we see right here where it says the serpent was more crafty, more subtle, more deceptive. And so Satan is a great impersonator, and he questions God's Word. And he also denies God's Word, questioning God's Word. Uh, verse, uh, verse uh, where are we at here? That was, uh, that was verse 1. Let's go to verse 4. And the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. So he basically says, did God really say? You can't really rely on that. Yahweh said, when you eat of that tree, you have all the other uh, vegetation there that God has provided in the garden, but you eat of that tree, you will die. But, but the, the sin has no consequences, and that still is, again, what, what Satan seeks to do. He denies the Word of God and uh, says that really there is no uh, consequence to the Word uh, to what God says. Now, his temptation, we took some time to uh, look at this and paralleled this uh, pattern that we see there in Genesis chapter 3 in, this, in the temptation with Eve. And we see this very much uh, identified in 1 John 2.16, where John says, For all that is in the world, 
the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. And we see how in those three places that Eve uh, looked at the uh, tree and it appealed to her flesh, it was good for food. Uh, you could also say that it was a desire of the eyes, the beauty there, uh, and then also the, uh, the knowledge. He says, you know, later Satan would say that uh, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. And he's promising uh, knowledge. He's promising that you will be, and he just says, you will be what? Like God. Now we know that they were already image bearers of God, mankind, Adam, Eve. Uh, they were created in the image of God, but, but he is in a sense saying what, what his desire is to be. Remember, Satan wants to, uh, his fall, his uh, being outcast uh, from the presence of God was because he wanted that authority. He wanted to be God. And so Satan promises that if you do this, look, look, you can't really, don't, don't be so religious. Don't take things so seriously. You're not going to die. There's really no consequences you can run all the red lights you want in life. There's not going to be any consequences. Uh, but uh, And then besides, God is kind of, uh, you know, he's a little insecure because he knows that when you eat of that tree, when you partake of it, he knows that you're going to have a knowledge that he has. And so there's a subtle undermining of the goodness of God, isn't there? Because God is holding out on you. He's not wanting what is best for you. He knows that when you do this, you're going you're gonna to know what he knows, and he wants to keep you from, from pursuing your destiny. He wants to keep you from being all that you can be, Connie. You know, that's what, no, 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 that's, that's, that's not God. God wants you to live in his purpose and his will. But Satan, again, we're talking about the deception and the lies. Remember, we compared this pattern in 1 John and even there in Genesis 3. Remember, we also compared it. Uh, to the way Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness. Remember in Matthew chapter 4, Luke 4 as well, parallel, that Satan was, uh, when he went in after he was in Matthew's account, after he was baptized, and the, you know, and, and the Father said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, and the Spirit came upon him as a, as a dove. And, uh, uh, and so uh, in 1 John 2.16, that pattern there, it keeps kind of moving around on me, but that's all right, once it, I catch it. We see the same pattern in Matthew 4. Remember, uh, Satan said, turn these stones to bread. The flesh, right? The desires of the flesh. What was the next temptation? I can't hear you, I can't hear you. Jump, jump from the pinnacle of the temple and everybody will see that uh, you know, who you are, and you don't have to go through all this suffering. You don't have to live with those disciples that half the time, they don't even know what's going on. I mean, you can just cut to the chase, and everybody, in fact, Satan loves to quote Scripture, doesn't he? He quotes it wrong, but he says, the angels will not allow your foot to be dashed. In other words, they will not allow anything to happen to you, and if you jump off the pinnacle of the temple, the angels will capture you, and everybody will see how grand and great you are as the Son of God and the pride of life. And then ultimately, he takes him up and shows him all the kingdoms of the earth and says, all this can be yours, the desire of the eyes. And each time, what did Jesus do? He said, it is written, it is written. You remember what book he quoted it from there in all three of those scriptural accounts? Little, This will come in handy if we do trivia. He quoted from the book of Deuteronomy. 
One of the books of Moses there. He quoted each three, each times he quoted the word of God. It is written, it is written. So what does that tell you? One, about the power and authority of the word of God. But it also tells you, the Bible says that we are not ignorant of the schemes of the devil. So we see that he has a pattern. He uses the same pattern on us as well. So notice number three in your outline. Again, those of you who just uh, came in, we won't say Connie and Sandy. No, I'm kidding you. <laughs> I'm teasing. We're reviewing last week. I know you all well enough I can pick on you. Uh, verse six, uh, it says, So the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was desired to make one wise, she, she bought into the whole thing. Uh, she took of its fruit, and she also gave some to her husband, who was, he was with her the whole time. <laughs> he was there. He wasn't out naming the, uh, you know, the animals. He's done, he's done that. But verse 6, we see disobedience. Adam sinned willfully. He chose to sin. Um, you know, she was, you could say, well, Eve was drawn into the temptation, but Adam knew uh, the word of the Lord that was spoken to him. And uh, this is where in Scripture that uh, we see what is oftentimes of how sin uh, infected in, 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 uh, was imputed, if you will, to the human race. Where, what is the connection between Adam and and the sinfulness of the world. Well, the Bible tells us in Romans 5, that's on the screen, therefore, just as sin came into the world through, what? One man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, all humankind, because all sinned. And uh, uh, here's another scripture, verse 14 of Romans 5. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even those who were sinning, was not like the transgression, who was a type of the one who was to come. Uh, verse 17, for if one man, I just want you to see, one man's trespass, death reigned through one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign uh, in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Christ, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also may reign through the righteousness leading uh, to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So uh, we talked a little bit about the, the, um, that Adam stood in a covenantal headship, uh, a covenantal relationship. So Adam, our covenantal representative, if you will, uh, that when Adam rejected God's word, when Adam sinned, because he was standing covenantally for the race, the human race that was in his, uh, in his own DNA, if you will, then the Bible makes it clear that death, sin, infected the entire uh, posterity of the human race. Uh, I gave the example that this really isn't a real complicated concept, uh, sometimes theologians, Reformed theologians, refer to it as federal headship, and we have a concept of that. I said that the president functions as our federal head of government. So if, the, if President Biden signed an act of uh, law uh, tonight, 
against, or an, or an act of war, if you will, uh, against that we're going to go to war with the uh, Canadians, okay, uh, then guess what? It is as if, even if you say, well, I don't agree with that. I didn't vote for him. I voted for the other guy. Uh, it doesn't matter because as our federal head, it would be as if every one of us declared war on Canada because Adam, Adam Biden, <laughs> I don't know if that's a slip or not, but anyway, Biden um, acts, acts as our federal covenantal, in one sense, representative, representative of the government. Do you see what I mean by that? So again, that is the concept through the death reigning through the one man that, uh, that is connected there in Romans 5. Again, I just want to point that out there, that the Bible makes that connection uh, about the one man's trespass. Through one man, sin came to everybody, okay? All right. Um, promise to be like God, special knowledge. Something I didn't mention last night, this is still under number three. You know, that is the appeal and the lure of, of cults, isn't it? Uh, because what do cults, uh, what do cults uh, promise? They promise a special knowledge. Uh, a cult, uh, whether it's a Christian cult, and I don't mean they're Christian, I just mean that they might be, they might use the Bible and use a lot of the, the window dressing of Jesus and those things, but uh, for example, like Mormonism. Mormonism is a, is a biblical or is a theological cult. Jehovah's Witnesses is cultish. Those are cults in their, in their uh, theology. They're aberrant. They're not consistent with historic Christianity. Uh, so they might use a lot of the window dressing uh, of terms, this, you know, talk about Jesus, talk about sacrifice, the cross, or whatever, but their meaning is something completely different than what the Bible and historic Christianity teaches. Uh, so part of what even, and I'll go in another extreme, and I'm not saying Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses are like Jim Jones, but let's go another extreme into Jim Jones or uh, who was the guy in Waco, David Koresh, or now the inner tube, the inner tube, how about the internet? <laughs> My wife would love that, so uh, she would think that's hilarious. She loves to see me mess up, but uh, uh, all in good fun. But the internet, stay off the inner tube, Keith. Uh, the internet, uh, you can, it's amazing. I was watching something the other night about, it was, uh, I don't know what one of those channels, maybe I think it's Oprah Winfrey's channel where they rerun Dr. Phil, you know, over and over, and he had some guy on there Who's, uh, who claimed to have a special, he was a special messenger of God, and of course he was causing problems and taking this woman's daughter and confusing her, and he was on there claiming he was God's special messenger. And you, you know, a lot, most of us look at that and we think, how in the world do sane people buy into that? But you know, it's like Jim Jones. If you, his number right-hand guy down there was a trained lawyer. It, it, you know, it isn't stupid people that get involved in cults. You know what it does? It appeals to something that we see Satan doing here is that if you, if you eat of this tree, you'll know stuff that nobody else knows. You can be part of our little group. We've got the truth. Our founder is a special messenger sent by God, and he's written a special book. They won't say it's rejecting the Bible, but 
it helps you to understand the Bible because he's got a special revelation of God. And we, we have been blessed. And, and so we're going to move out here and be our little group. You know, that appeals to the flesh, doesn't it? Because you know something nobody else does. You feel kind of an air of theological superiority than, you know, to just anybody else sitting, those poor folks in the church, because they don't know the real truth. You see how Satan uses that uh, to appeal to the flesh. Kind of, that, again, to have that special knowledge, if you will. Um, so, uh, uh, what, what, did that, what did that produce? Um, this keeps... They, um, they, uh, what did they do? What was the thing that the Bible says that they came and they... Um, they hid from God, uh, shame, they got knowledge, but it wasn't kind of the knowledge to be like God, and as a result, uh, verse 7 says that, you find it here, verse 7 says, then the eyes of them were both open, and they knew they were naked. They knew they were naked. That has to do, there was a sense of shame. Therefore, uh, let me skip over that. Verse 8, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, of the cool of the day and the man and his wife did what? Hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Sin will cause you to go into hiding. Because the last thing you want, the Bible says in Romans 3, there is none that seek after God. What happens, we learned you know, Sunday, reminded from Isaiah 6, of when somebody is exposed to the holiness of God, uh, what, is, what is the response? The response is, you know, like Isaiah, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. And again, that was somebody that was a, was a believer, somebody that was a God-fearer. And so they hid themselves. And then we see also going back uh, earlier that they, uh, that they uh, took... Uh, they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. They tried to cover themselves by their own uh, works, if you will. Um, and so here we see that they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. They hid themselves, and, and the Lord said, called to the man. They heard the sound of the Lord God, right? Verse 9, but the Lord called to man. And said to him, where are you? Now, God never asks a question to get information. Okay? He, 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 you know, Adam wasn't, wasn't lost, and then God couldn't find him. And uh, he said, uh, I heard the sound, verse 10, this would be under number 4, the discovery part of your outline. God is seeking him, verse 8. God does the seeking. Man never seeks God. God is seeking sinful man. Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. It speaks to him in verse 9 and 10. And the Lord said, or, and Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was what? Had fear. Sin will cause you to have a distorted view and perspective of the true nature of God. He said, I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And the Lord said, who told you that you were naked? And it really is not, uh, it was again that their innocence was lost. And the Lord says, have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? 
Again, he's not asking information there. He's wanting confession from Adam. Does Adam understand? Can Adam confess to what he did? Now, immediately, Adam goes into full blame mode, doesn't he? Right? Stuff we do. The woman. The man said, the woman. And he said, really, it's your fault, God. You gave her to me. Right? That woman, but you gave her to me. She gave it to me. She gave me the fruit of the tree. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent. It's his fault. Now some of you won't remember Flip Wilson. But you remember when, he, when he'd imitate, talk about the devil made me do it? She said, The devil made me do it. Long before Flip ever thought of that. So look at the penalty. The Lord God said to the serpent, Satan, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go. Some have speculated because of the judgment and the curse that, again, whatever this serpent, whatever this this embodiment Satan did in this animal, that... It was upright because the judgment was to be crawling on your belly. Again, just speculation there, but doesn't really matter for interpretive purposes. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. In other words, you're going to get as low as low can be. And verse 15 is a really important verse we spent a little time with, and we'll try to do that a little bit tonight as well, because again, verse 15 is uh, so pivotal to understanding how this fits into really the, the, the timeline or the theme line of Scripture. And again, remember, this is all part of God's judgment. He's saying, he said to the serpent, okay? And he says, still talking or still cursing uh, or judging, rather, I will put enmity, uh, literally hatred, division between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, he shall uh, bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. In other words, you will give a temporary wound, but his wound and bruise in many cases can be interpreted or, or, or um, translated crush. He will crush your head. You shall make a temporary wound. He sh- you shall bruise his heel, but he shall bruise or crush your head. Now, some question about this, your offspring and her offspring, and I want you just to make a note. I'm not sure if I have it in your outline. I do have it on the screen. A parable uh, and some words that Jesus spoke uh, in Matthew chapter 13. It's on the screen there. And Jesus uh, put another parable before them. I think in Matthew 13, there might be three different parables that he speaks of. They're all in the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, synonymous. Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. Uh, the kingdom of heaven may be compared. So a, remember what a parable is. A parable is an earthly story of a spiritual truth. It's an earthly story of a uh, kingdom truth, if you will. So again, ESV uses the word that the kingdom of heaven may be compared Okay? He's giving a metaphor. He's giving you a word picture here. And he says it can be compared 
to a man who sowed good seed in his field. And while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? And he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat. The wheat's good, weeds are bad. That you root up the wheat along with the weeds. Let both, again, still part of the parable, let both grow together until the harvest. Okay? And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, again, earthly farmer, using a metaphor, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now, if we go forward a little bit to verse 36, it says, Then he left the crowds and went into the house. He's giving this parabolic teaching about the sower and the seed out there in the broad context. But he goes, he leaves the crowds. This is Jesus now. You'll see a connection here in a minute. And he left the crowds and he went into the house. And his who? To give them the details or the interpretation, if you will, of this parable. And they said, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. And Jesus answered, okay? He's going to explain that parable. The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man, Jesus, okay? The Son of God. The field is what? The world. He's interpreting. He's showing them what the pieces mean. And the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of who? And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the what? And the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds, weeds are bad, uh, what? The evil one. The weeds are the sons, okay? That's important. The offspring. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the what? The end of the age. So, what we see back in Genesis 3.15, let me go back and... He says, I will put enmity, hatred, separation. Who's he talking to? not trick. God is talking to Satan. Okay? That's important. Said to the what? Serpent. All right? Still part of this, this dialogue. I will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman. Between your offspring, that tells me the devil has offspring, and her offspring. He, 
shall bruise your head. He shall crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. Remember Jesus said about this between a there will be a there will be a godly offspring and there will be a ungodly offspring, okay? Now again, he's not talking about demonic DNA. Okay, don't don't get weird on me, all right? He's not talking about that. But when you what he's saying there and you look at the trajectory all through Scripture, what do you see? Even if you know very little about the Bible, you see a line that God is a... Sta- Fast forward. Next chapter we'll look at. Adam had two boys. Cain and Abel, right? Cain offered, when it came to offer sacrifices, Cain brought a sacrifice from his harvest. And Abel brought a blood sacrifice. And Cain was jealous, envious of Abel. Right? Right? Cain killed Abel. The evil, disobedient offspring from Adam and Eve did what? He killed the good offspring. Both born of the same family. It's not talking about one had demon DNA and one had... I'm not talking about that. One, throughout the Bible, there is, a, there is a people that reject God, right? In fact, there is even those within the rejecting God that aren't passive, but they are actively wanting to destroy the line, the godly line. So Eve and Adam, the old King James, old King James says, and Adam knew Eve, that was kind of a nice way to say they put a little Marvin Gaye on and, you know, right? All right, don't look so holy, y'all. All All right. And she gave birth to Seth. A godly line would continue. From that godly line, God would eventually... Raise up a Noah, who was a godly man in an ungodly generation. When God destroyed the earth through the flood in Genesis 6, he spared what? This godly offspring. Ultimately, this godly offspring found its way by God's providence through Joseph into Egypt. And this godly offspring began to prosper in Egypt. And God had marked a little baby by the name of Moses that would be marked to lead God's offspring out of the incubator of Egypt, which was evil and hostile, right? Because the Bible says that there arose a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph, inspired, you realize anti-Semitic beliefs all are rooted in Satanism because there arose a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph that said, look at these people, if we don't get a handle on this, they're going to do something to take us over. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Jews. They weren't called Jews, but that's, you know, that's who was living in Egypt. They were prospering. So what did he do? He began to Do what? Seek to destroy by killing who? 
all the male babies. So what I'm saying is you just, you just rough it out. You see that Satan, this enmity, this hatred, he has sought to destroy what? What God, God gave him the blueprint. Now what Satan does not have, he doesn't have the Holy Spirit. He can't, he can write one plus one, but he doesn't have the Holy Spirit to tell him it equals two. He doesn't have, he doesn't have the knowledge to understand spiritual things. 1 Corinthians 2, 14. The natural man cannot understand the things of the Spirit, right? So that's why he can quote Scripture out of context, because he, 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 he doesn't even know. You know, he knows the data. And so, remember what uh, Jesus said, looking at this again. I just want to point this out. I'm getting a little too more into it. Remember, in another sense, we looked at the, the parable, okay, of the good seed and the bad seed. Remember what Jesus said in John 8? He's talking to these religious People called Pharisees. Why do you not understand what I say? Why do you not understand what I say? He says it is because you cannot bear to hear my word. Now why is it they can't? These religious folks that know doctrine, know the Old Testament in and out. He says because you are of your what? And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. Satan has always been to destroy the godly line that ultimately, ultimately, that would produce Messiah, right? In fact, if you look in the book of Revelation, chapter 12, this is in the context of Israel in a period of tribulation. We won't get into that. But in Revelation 12, 1 through 5, listen to the language here. And a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman, that's representing of, of Israel, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. Again, if the woman is Israel, interpreter see 12 stars representing, again, identifying further who this woman is, the 12 tribes of Israel. Again, keep Genesis 3.15 in mind. We're at the end of the book now. She was pregnant. And was crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. And behold, a what? A great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns. And on its heads were seven diadems. And there's people that interpret those, those earthly authorities here. But that's not what I want you to get to look at. What I want you to see, this great red dragon. See the woman. Now we see the dragon in Revelation. It says, and this is how we know, or we learn, that a third of the angels in Satan's rebellion, which happened before the creation, we don't, we can't, but it happened before the creation. This is where we learn that a third of 
the demons, or a third of the angels, rebelled with him. This insurrection. Speaking of the serpent, speaking of Satan, it says, His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven, or angels, and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth. Now again, the woman is Israel, about to bring forth from Israel came Messiah. We all understand that, right? Who was about to give birth, that when she bore her child, he sought to what? To devour or destroy it. What did Satan inspire Herod to do when Herod caught word from these travelers that this king was scheduled to be born. What did he, the same demon that inspired Pharaoh to go on a killing spree, what did the devil inspire him to do? To go out and start killing male children, three and under, I think. Why? Satan is out to do what? Satan has enmity against Messiah. Satan has hatred. Satan wants to destroy. How many times in Jesus' earthly ministry? Luke chapter 4. He opened the scrolls in his hometown synagogue. Where the, and the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim liberty to the captives and set the sight, you know, the blind, give them sight, etc., etc. And you read within 10 verses of that, the same people that are up there singing Kumbaya in the synagogue want to take him out and push him off a cliff and kill him. Satan's always been about destroying, because what, what does the word of the Lord say back in 3.15? I will put hatred between your offspring and her offspring. Speaking of this picture of Israel, Israel, which is the woman here typified, gave birth to a male child, there's no guessing who they're talking about. One who is to what? Rule the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God. That's the ascension. That's, that's Acts chapter 1. Jesus, after the resurrection, ascended. This child who was to rule the nations was caught up. Do you see all the pictures here that are relating back to what Genesis 3.15 is talking about? And how the trajectory of this purpose and this plan that began there and how you can follow it all the way through to the very end of the book of Revelation. Obviously, there's a lot of details. There's a lot of symbolism in those things. All I want you to see is that from the beginning, from day one, Satan has been out to destroy the purposes and ultimately destroy this one, because he said, between your, if you look back to Genesis, uh, the FV, ESV doesn't, but, but it's being, instead of using the term offspring and her offspring, I like where it will actually say seed between your, your seed, little s, and her offspring, which is capital S. Well, that doesn't work good, but 
I like if you have a New King James or you have a New American Standard, something like that, it'll say between your seed, little s, and her seed, capital S. And the reason it's capitalized is because the interpreters of the, uh, from the Hebrew, they want you to see this isn't just any person. It's capitalized to identify that this is somebody significant. To signify, just like you see Lord God capitalized in your, in your Bibles, is to signify to the reader that this is speaking about the Son of God. This is speaking about the Messiah, all right? All I want you to take away is that there's going to be conflict. But the good news is the Lord God won the victory. Look at verse 17. Well, it's verse 16 about the woman. This really isn't that complicated. Remember, we'll look at the judgment. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. And in pain... You shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Now, if you go back to Genesis 2.15, the Lord had, in the same way with Adam, he says, because, uh, because you've listened to the voice of your wife, verse 17, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, I said, commanded you, you shall not eat it. Cursed is the ground. He didn't curse Adam, but he cursed the ground because of you in pain. There it is again, talking about the man. In pain, you shall eat all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth from you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it you were taken, for you are dust. I'm about death now. For you are dust, and to dust you, you shall return. And here's what I think is going on here. Because work, work was not a curse. Now I know you got some family members that think it is. Work was not, because the commandment to work was given before the fall. Right? Cultivate, take care of the earth, replant, you know. Work was part of God's order of creation. Be fruitful and multiply. The curse, ladies, is not to have children. They were to, Adam, Eve was told to, that being fruitful and told both of them to be fruitful and multiply, that was pre, pre-curse, pre-fall. What's going on here? Just like work and childbearing, the, the, the things that God had designed uniquely male and female in the, in, the, in the creation order, that still is going to be, Adam is still going to have to work, but guess what? He's never going to be satisfied. It's going to be hard. God didn't intend it to be a burden in the garden. Childbearing. Still going to, still, the purpose of humanity continues. But here's the difference. What was to be 
fulfilling and satisfying, functioning in the purpose, in the glory and under the purposes and satisfaction of the Creator, you're still going to have to work. You're still going to have to replenish. You're still going to bear children. But it's going to be hard. You're never going to be satisfied. You're never going to find that job that just... There's always going to be an emptiness. But God is saying that was not the purpose or the way it was originally designed. But because of what you've done, life's going to be different. But it was not intended to be that way. It was intended to obey, to work, to bear a family, to have a life under the satisfaction and glory and purposes of God in their midst. But somebody bought into the lie and said, you know what? I think he's leaving you out of a better deal. Well, guess what? They got it. You want autonomy? You want to be you want to you want to go out on your own? You think you're not this is not good? Well, guess what? They got it. And it's going to be turmoil. And the human race has been in turmoil and chaos ever since. That's why work, guys, on your best day will never satisfy. The job, the career, the retirement, the whatever. On the best of the best, there still is something that says, is this, is this it? Here's your, here's your watch. 25 years. Coming in at 4.30. Here it is. Here, here's, here's your reward. Here's your little watch. God did not design it to be God purpose and design a man and a woman to have a family to be raised in an environment of working, functioning, living under the glory of God. And he was going to be so intimate with them. Even even that little picture where he's walking in the garden, in the cool of the day. He wasn't going to be like some people saying, God just created and he's gone off on a permanent vacation. No. He was going to be with them. Why? Because they were innocent. There was not sin. They could enjoy the presence of God that was going to be in their midst. But now, all that has changed. I think the last number in your outline, the recovery. Some see that in... Adam naming his wife Eve, there's a a little bit of expression of hope in Adam to the promises of God because her name means the mother of all living. Death was the curse. Death was the sentence. And some people say that his name, his naming his wife Eve, calling her Eve, that in that name he's expressing a small degree of hope and confidence in what God has promised. Notice the Bible says the Lord God, they did what? They made for, from fig leaves, but the Bible says that Yahweh Elohim 
made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Skins, those are animal skins. Some poor animal had to die because of their because of their disobedience. But notice, don't miss this, the Lord God made it. You see, our, your covering, our covering, <laughs> is insufficient. But God, we see a picture, don't miss this, don't get miss the picture here of God's provision of the gospel in Christ, that God provided a covering, a sacrificial covering that would be upon them. The Bible says, for by grace, God's favor, remember, all through this you see grace. God is seeking after them. Where are you? He's a seeking God, right? He clothed them. He provided what was necessary temporarily. That was a picture of the whole Old Testament sacrifice, sacrificial system that was only a shadow and type, Colossians 2 and 3 tells us. That was a covering. The blood of bulls and goats could never, Hebrew, the writer of Hebrews says, could never take away sin. It only covered sin temporarily. The covering that God provided here with those animal skins was a temporary shadow covering. By grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Look at Galatians 3.27. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. The garments that God has given to us, if we could stretch and use that metaphor, we see it in Revelation 3.5. The one who conquers will be what? Clothed in white garments. Isaiah, I love this. The prophet says, I will greatly rejoice in Yahweh. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has what? Clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Don't miss that. There's a lot of gospel in Genesis. In verse 22, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us. Do you Notice the plurality there. Now some would say, well, that's referring to angels. Well, no. Us, God's not, God's not an angel. He doesn't put angels on his own. So again, you don't want to read too much into it, but it would seem plausible that the plurality of the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we see it hinted at at least, right? Let us make God in our in our our own image. Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now look at this. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. What's the deal here? That if man in his sinful loss of innocence, fallen state, if man was to reach and partake of the tree of life, what would happen to not only Adam and Eve, but what would happen to their entire posterity is they would be locked in forever to an unredemptive state. No, no possibility. So again, God in His grace did what? Therefore, the Lord God sent Him out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground which He was taken. 
He drove out the man at the east of the Garden of Eden. It's interesting because when Cain was exiled, he went east. Uh, when you, you look at how many times east is referred to in the Old Testament to speak of a direction that is away from God. Interesting, the east. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Again, had man in his loss of innocence, fallen state, reached and partook of that, he would have been and we would have been forever and totally damned. Now let me close with this. This is worth, if you've been sleeping up till now, wake up, all right? It says, then. look at this, this is in Revelation 22, the end of the book. Notice Notice the connectors here. This is in the, the new heaven and new earth. This is after the rapture, the tribulation, the Armageddon. This is after, this is in the, the new heaven and the new earth that Jesus is ruling and reigning. It says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, brightest crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb, and through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the what? With its twelve kinds of fruits, yielding its fruit each month, the leaves of the tree were the healing of the nations. No longer, no longer will there be anything accursed. What has God done? We're back in the garden. We're back in the garden. He's not abdicated. He's not signed over any title deed. No longer will there be anything accursed. Because guess what? The last time they were in the garden, there was a curse. But the throne of God, look at this. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And His what? That means you and me. We're going to worship Him. What we intended to do in the beginning. And guess what? We're not just going to hear Him walking in the cool of the day. We will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God. The glory, the Shekinah glory will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. Drop down to verse 14. Blessed are those who, have, who wash their robes. There's the covering, the clothing, so that they may have the right to what? There it is. That they may what? What we could not enter, Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And he says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the what? Tree of life. So, chapter 3 ends on a sour note. We're banished. Man is... But even how many times do you see in chapter 3, do you see the grace of God? The Bible says in Revelation 22 about the Lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the earth. Think on that. That before it happened in real time, 
God had already made provision in advance. Do I understand that? Nope. I just, I just quote it. God was never caught by surprise. But God in His grace has made provision. But just the only reason I bring these scriptures up in Revelation, I want you to see that what happens in Genesis 3 in the garden, how that sets the trajectory and how the book of Revelation ends. Begins in the, with the tree of life as an issue and ends with access to the tree of life. What happened in the middle? God had a purpose and a plan.